what he's done for us and what he will continue to do. And so, uh, impactful song, incredible song. Um, glad that you're here this morning. Uh, we, we open God's word because we know it's, it's his word to us, his, his love. Uh, is poured out to us through Jesus and through the body of Christ and through his word to us. And it's his desire to, to know us and for us to know him well. And one of the key ways that we get to know this awesome Savior, this living God, is through the word of God. And as we get into his word, we, we have a better understanding of who God is, and we have a better understanding of who we are and who he's designed us to be. And as we dig into the word, we get to spend time with the, very, the living God, and he changes us. He shapes our heart. He shapes our thinking. And he gives us a whole new outlook and a whole new life, new perspective, and for a lot of us, a new beginning. I'm grateful for new beginnings in this awesome God. So we open God's word because we want to know him better, and we want to grow in his grace, and we want to navigate this crazy world that we live in. And so really, we need his help. We want to know him better. So we open his text, his word, and we dig in. This morning, we're launching into a new study uh, about leadership, and so particularly, there's kind of a narrow focus on leadership about those that lead the body of Christ, those who have been appointed to, to lead the local body of believers. We're going to look at that, but trust me, there is a lot there for any of us in life, because all of us have been, giving in, been given influence, all of us have been, giving, been given a place of, of leadership, of impact. And so you're going to learn a lot from God's Word about what it is to follow Jesus and what it looks like to be a good leader. I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in this morning. Father, again, we come to you, and we just simply give you glory. Father, as the psalmist says in Psalm 103, Lord, we bless you. Lord, we live for your renown. We live for your fame. We live to honor you. God, we're here to know you better. Father, to exalt you and to tenderly admit and kneel before you, acknowledging that you're God and we're not, but acknowledging, Father, that it's your desire to know us and to grow us and to use us. And so, Father, we come just desperate for you, hungry for your wisdom, hungering to be drawn closer to you, Father. I just pray that you'd minister in our time here in the Word, that you'd minister to the people here. Comfort them, Lord. Encourage them, guide them. And Father, may we be united as your church here in Duxbury, that you may move freely in and through us for a loving, Christ-centered impact here in our communities. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in the West, here in America, I believe we have sort of a love-hate relationship with leadership. On one hand, we fawn towards charismatic leaders that, that lead with purpose and vision. We, we, we lead, read their blogs, we buy their books, we listen to their podcasts. Countless people run the leadership conferences annually to, to sit under sort of leadership gurus to learn more about leadership, to improve their leadership. Leadership is, is good. But then on the flip side of that, there's sort of a cynicism towards leaders and, and leadership. There's sort of this sort of frustration at times that can sort of pop up within uh, looking at leadership, and we begin to think, man, uh, uh, look, it's really difficult to sort of be under a person of authority, to have a boss over us. It's really difficult, and we can grow frustrated, especially for some of you, you've got t-shirts older than your bosses, and so you're just sort of like, man, I've got this person leading and directing and sort of making decisions for me and, and my life and my business, and it's really a hard thing. 
But leadership is a good thing. It's a God thing. It's been designed of this awesome God. And one of the things that we see in, in leadership is sort of this, this cynicism that comes up again from being under leaders and being under authority. And it seems like a lot of us love leaders. We just don't always like to be led. And look, I don't blame you. Leadership is a difficult thing in the age of Enron, in the age of religious scandal, in the age of shifty politicians. Leadership can be a hard pill to swallow. But as we think of sort of the tension within leadership and within structure and organizations, we need to be reminded of the good leadership. Many of you, as I look out in the audience, as I look into the pew, you've been impacted by good leadership. Many of you have coaches that have built into you, and they've modeled for you what it is to be a young woman and a young man. Many of you were in the military, and you've had officers over you that marked you in good ways, that taught you and trained you and, and, and sort of led you forward and, and what it looked like to be a good soldier. You've had key leaders in your life built into you. You've had teachers invest and build into you and equip you. And many of you have had ministry leaders that have come alongside you and have built into you and they've taught you about Jesus. They've led you to Jesus. They've prayed for you. They've walked through the trenches with you. They've done life with you. Leadership is good. In fact, not only is it a good thing, it's a God thing. Many of us have been marked by leadership, good leadership. From the very beginning, at the genesis of mankind, God has been appointing leaders to lead his people. He appointed Moses, and we see people like Esther and Deborah and the apostles and Lydia. He appointed leaders to build into his people. Here in Duxbury Church, we are excited about leadership. Why? Because God's excited about leadership. God's excited about discipleship. It's a biblical design of God to lead well. We see leadership throughout. We just came through the study on the DNA of Duxbury Church. We looked at sort of six key components that make us a biblical body of believers. And there's sort of these six things that establish us as a distinct body here, biblical mandates and things that we're aiming to be about. We've looked at the mission and vision and purpose of our ministry. And we said that we are a growing community that wants to know Jesus, not to know about him, not to have some type of sort of cerebral understanding or some type of knowledge from scripture and text, but not just, just a knowledge of, but to personally know Jesus. We want to know him, and we want to grow in Jesus. We look scripturally, and we see that Jesus meets us right where we are. He loves us tremendously, and he loves us to the point that he matures us. Those that come to life in Christ and have this relationship, this connection that are tethered to the vine— grow. They mature. So we want to know Jesus. We want to grow in Jesus. We want to love like Jesus. We want to give and serve like Jesus. And we want to go like Jesus. All of that takes place within the context of community. We are a living, breathing organism. This body of believers, this spiritual family and it begs the question, now that as we've looked at the DNA of this ministry, as we've sort of examined that, and we've looked at the mission that Jesus is calling us to scripturally, it really begs this question, who leads the church? Who, who sort of runs, if you will, or organizes and sort of brings this together? Like, who does God appoint to lead his congregation? 
You're like, yeah, Tim, duh, you're the pastor. We, we pay you. you. You do that, and, and others do that. You have a board. Absolutely. But it's more than that. We want to be in alignment with God's Word as a, as a ministry. We want the Word of God to permeate all of our decisions, all of what we are as a fellowship, all of what we are in our mission. And so we want our leadership to reflect what God teaches us here within Scripture. We want our documentation to reflect what we see in Scripture. God appoints leaders to lead forward within His community. The Scriptures call uh, pastor, teacher, overseer, shepherd elder. That's sort of the terminology. Uh, Elder, pastor, teacher, overseer, shepherd. It's a a word that's synonymous with this idea of shepherd. The scriptures use that terminology interchangeably. From the beginning, God's been establishing leaders, and that's carried forward now. He establishes leaders to lovingly care for the flock, to teach, to guide, to build in, and to lead us forward as I in the board, those that have been called to elder overseer. As we follow Jesus, we lead forward in inviting you in, growing closer to one another, and more importantly, to Christ. We're look at eldership, shepherd, biblically over the next few weeks. Now, some of you are like, okay, cool. Tim, I know for a fact God's not calling me to be a pastor or an overseer or a shepherd or any of those things. I'm not called to serve within sort of the the elder, the deacon board here. I know that that's not my calling. So do I have to come? Yes, you got to come. You need to be here. Why? Let me give you some reasons why you need to be here. Number one, you need to know my function. You need to know the board's function. What are we called to do? How are we called to lead? You need to know that. You have to understand the qualifications. For, for me, what God's called me to, what God's called the board to, what are the qualifications of a godly leader? And I'm believing and I trust that there are some here in, in the fix, in the mix that are part of this body here, and God's sort of knocking at their heart's door, inviting them to take sort of that next, next step to intentional leadership of shepherding within the body here, and maybe elsewhere as God moves. And you're wrestling and you're grinding as I did for three years, determining if God was truly calling me, if I was really gifted for this area of eldership. Some of you are sort of wrestling through that with the Lord. My prayer is this, that by the time we we wrap up looking at God's Word over the next several weeks of what it is to be a pastor, an overseer, a shepherd, an elder, you may say, God, you're calling me and you're gifting me and the community, the body of Christ sees my gifting and the fruit of the Spirit popping in me and that you'll come to the place by the grace of God You'll stand up and say, here am I, Lord. Send me. I will go. I want to be a servant of your family, your community, your body, for your glory. Now, for those of you that are not called and gifted in this way, you all are called to an area of influence in your life. All of you are leaders to some degree. You have influence and impact, and maybe over a large organization, it could be a corporation, it could be just your family, it could just be your spouse. But all of us are called to lead and to make an impact for the glory of God. What I'm proposing and what I offer to you is, look, you may not be called to this role, but you're called to something else. You're called to lead and make an impact for your team and for your family, your business. You're all called. And what I will propose to you is that biblically what God outlines for you and for me here in scripture, the characteristics of a a godly elder or shepherd are really characteristics that sort of come to bloom in all of us that follow Jesus. To some degree, what is 
laid out in Scripture becomes a reality for you and for me as we grow closer to the King. And I want to say this, wherever your flock is, whatever your calling, and whatever your arena of influence is, as we look at God's Word, what we learn here will help us all level up, will help all of us improve as leaders. We care about discipleship, we care about mentorship, and we care about leadership development in this church family. Healthy church organizations will sort of multiply, help people find and follow Christ, grow in maturity, but are intentional about building into those coming along, doing life together, identifying those that are gifted in certain ways, inviting them in, in time, in appropriate time, into the life of the body to use their gifts for this awesome God. What we're looking at over the next few weeks, whether you're a pastor or not, will have a great impact on you. Why? Because it's God's Word. And as we lean into the grace of God, the Spirit of God, you and I will grow as influencers for the glory of our King. From the beginning, God was establishing leaders to lead and to build the question I want us to sort of hold close to the vest as we go forward in these few weeks, simply put, is what makes a good leader? What's a godly leader? What are those characteristics of, of a man and a woman that lead well with integrity? What are those things? What makes a good leader? The reality is that sometimes we learn from what makes a bad leader. This morning, I don't want to sort of start with like the glass half full mentality. I don't want to sort of go low, but in a, in a way, I do want to go and look at the era and sort of the mistakes of poor leadership in Israel. We're going to see examples of, of bad leadership, but then we are going to compare that to our exemplary leader of Jesus. Listen, I just want to say, look, we, we should read about leadership and we should go and, and learn and read books. These things are good. But if you want to grow as a servant leader, know the king, dig into his word, look at the attributes of our master, the sovereign one, the savior of the world. Like we can spend a lot of time reading other tools and other things and, and it's good. We can glean from business and we can glean from other outside sources. But ultimately, if you want to be used of impact in your home or on the job, lean into Jesus. See what he's calling you to be. See who he is. So we're going to look at some negative things now, but then we're going to compare that with the ultimate shepherd. That's where we're starting today. We'll get into the characteristics. We'll get into the attributes and sort of the calling and the function of elder, of pastor in the weeks to come. But let's first look back. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 34. We'll have it on the screen here this morning. I believe it's page 722 in your pew Bible. I want to look back here. Look, we're going to see some things not to do. We're going to see some attributes and traits of things that we do not need to embrace as we build into those around us. God is long-suffering, and He's patient, and He's loving, and He's good, but over and over, His frustration would boil and come to a head. And so what we see in Ezekiel chapter 34 is God finally just coming to the point of addressing these sort of false leaders, these false shepherds through Ezekiel. Let's take a look. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. These were the false ones that were not leading well, were not serving well. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. 
these leaders were positioned with great authority from God. They were giving this incredible front row seat of building into the people of God. Such a privileged position in calling. And they had access to the good things of God, but look what they did. Rather than feeding and clothing the people, they fed themselves and clothed themselves. They took care of themselves only. Verse 4, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the loss you have not sought, and with uh, force and harshness you have ruled them. See, they were leading, and their purpose for leading was power and prestige and access. Poor leaders lead for what they can gain, what they can take. Rather than looking to the care and the needs of those around them, they look to exploit. You haven't bound them up. You strayed. You've not brought back the loss. You've not sought. And with force and harshness, you've ruled. It's a picture of the shepherds, the under-shepherds of the living God there, abandoning the sheep not caring for them. They completely just turned on them. And you look at the sad interaction that they had. The only interaction that they really had with the people, these under-shepherds, was one of harshness. It's sort of like, hey, look, I've been appointed of God to lead. I here, do you know who I am? Sort of throwing their weight around and their force around. But there was no connection. There was no unity. There was no care. They couldn't care less for the sheep. Verse 6, my sheep were scattered. The children of Israel were just scattered here, there, everywhere. They were ransacked by other kingdoms, other leaders. They were just sort of uh, at, at the mercy of others. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Completely abandoned. Leaders looking to exploit. I want to ask you, why do you serve? Why do you lead? Are you leading because you want to have access to information? Are you leading because you like the power? There's a pride there. Do you lead and serve within your organization for the bottom line? Or is there a desire to bring honor to our living God? Is there a desire to help, not harm? What is your motivation for leading and serving? What makes a good leader? This is a grim picture, and it leaves you just sort of aching. Desiring more, wanting more. And we see that the leadership abandoned and neglected. But look at this awesome truth. God never abandons his people. God never abandons you. God says, look, there, there may not be a shepherd that's following through, modeling what it is to have a relationship with me, leading you closer to me, but I'm not going to let you drift. I'm going to intentionally be there. Look at what happens here. Look at verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. God says, I won't let you go. I will look for you as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is strong, his sheep that have been scattered. So will I seek out my sheep. I will come gather you. I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered. I'll come step in. Down in verse 15, 
I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. He keeps bringing this. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. Meaning, I will lead them to the place where they have no want, where they're content, where they're satisfied. I will protect them. I'll lead them from point A to B. They will be without any need. I'll seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. I'm going to take care of my people. And for those under shepherds that don't respond to me, there will be justice to be paid. They will have to give a response for how they led. So I'll seek their justice. So I'm going to be their shepherd. The basis of our existence is knowing God. You were designed to know him, to worship him, to walk closely with him. The prize of life is a life lived in the presence of God. Those that lead under God, the shepherd, are to to model that and to follow the way of Christ, to be with the people, to lead them into a deeper relationship with God, to promote that, to pray, to teach, to care. And Jesus offers this one awesome one, the true shepherd, has been talked about from the beginning. From Genesis 3, there is this imagery and a seed planted of one that would come and be the ultimate shepherd, pastor, overseer. And look at this in verse 23. God says, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Here in the, it's sort of, it's an interesting translation from the Hebrew to the English here, but it, we're thinking, wait, David has already come at this point. What, what's, what's Ezekiel getting at as he relays God's message to us? What we see here in, in the text is that out of the house of David will come this ultimate shepherd, this, this one shepherd. It ties back into the Davidic covenant, the promise that we see in 2 Samuel 7, that from the lineage of David, from the line of David, from the house of David, there would always be a ruler, a king that would ultimately culminate with Messiah Jesus. The greater David will come. The greater Moses will come. The greater Daniel will come. There was this hope of a shepherd that wouldn't neglect, that wouldn't abuse power, that wouldn't seek to take from the people, but to give and to build up. And God's giving them the hope that, look, I know you've been scattered. I know you've been abused. I know that people have not been faithful. There's been bad leaders that haven't been present. But there is this one that will come. And we know that he has come. His name is Jesus. And we see a phenomenal juxtaposition as we look at traits of an ungodly, unhealthy leader. We now go to the New Testament and we see the good shepherd who has come. Take a look at the Gospel of Mark, beginning in chapter 6, verse 30. Mark chapter 6, the second book here in the New Testament. Mark chapter 6, we now see the leader of leaders. Though the one that you're to emulate the one that by the grace of God I'm to emulate, we don't fulfill it fully. We can't perfectly embody and live like Christ. But we've got His grace to lean on, and we've got the Spirit and the Word of God. But in measure, little by little, the grace of God surfaces. The fruit of the Spirit surfaces in our lives. But look at what we saw in Ezekiel 34, and now look, the juxtaposition to the David, the King. The great one. Look at what we find here. All right, Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. 
And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. They were constantly with people, small crowds, medium-sized crowds, gigantic crowds. Hey, let's come away. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. They've been teaching and ministering, and they're famished, but they have no space, even elbow room to eat. Verse 32, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So they're trying to carve out some time alone to regroup, perhaps to sort of share and discuss what they had learned that day and just have sort of moments together. They went away in the boat. Verse 33, now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them. See, the leaders of Israel were ineffective because they were void of compassion. Where does that compassion come from? It comes from knowing the living God. They didn't know God. In fact, to lead well, to be an effective leader in the body of Christ and out in the community, you need to be able to follow. You need to follow the guidance and encouragement of other godly leaders. To lead well, you need to be able to follow, ultimately, Jesus. See, when we follow Jesus, He shapes our heart and He impresses His love and compassion and wisdom upon us. The Israelites, the leaders of Israel, they were so far removed and disconnected from God, they were void of compassion. But if you want to lead, you've got to follow and prerequisite to be a part of the body of Christ, serving as elder, shepherd, overseers. You need to be one that follows Jesus. You need to be led first by the Master. You want to lead well and have impact. You, by the grace of God, need to draw near to Him. Prerequisite number one for those that we look to build into that are gifted and called is do they love Jesus? You can be the brightest. You can be highly educated. You can have gobs of experience. You can lead and do things at a high capacity. But if you don't love Jesus... I'm not going to invite you into lead. You need to know the king. They failed to have compassion because they were not drawing close to God. If you want to lead, you need to follow first. And it's not just for a little while during school or training or discipleship. It's an ongoing journey with Jesus. But look at Jesus. He had compassion on them. He looked at the people, and rather than pulling away from obligation and responsibility, rather than pulling away from the people, he leaned in to his obligation and responsibility. Good leaders will see their calling, their people, their responsibility, and not pull from it. By the grace of God, they lean into it. They embrace it. Jesus was compassionate for the people. He cared for their well-being. And what does he do? Rather than looking the other way, he gets involved. Jesus easily could have said, hey, men, have those guys go home. Send the kids home. They'll find something to eat. They're going to be okay. Just send them back. Compassion. Because they were like sheep, look at this, without a shepherd. He began to teach them. We fail as men. We're not perfect. We don't shepherd flawlessly. We saw good leadership throughout the Old Testament. We saw bad leadership throughout the Old Testament. We see good leadership now. We see bad leadership now. We look to the king and draw near to him. You will grow as a leader, as an influencer, as a servant of the king, as one who builds up and leads to life. Jesus begins to care for them. And look what he does. He begins to teach them many things. 
One of the key components we'll look at of an elder, of a pastor, of an overseer, right, of a shepherd is someone that is able to teach, to expound on the God, God's Word, to, to communicate it, to verbalize it, to help us understand, to see how it applies. You must be able to teach. So Jesus here, the good shepherd, the ultimate one, the greater David is here, and he cares for them so much that his compassion leads him to action, and he begins just to unpack the truth. I don't know what he teaches here. He probably goes through the law and the prophets and highlights the fact that he is Messiah. I'm not sure. He teaches, I would imagine, just guessing the gospel that he is the Savior, the Lord, that he's the long-awaited shepherd that was going to come to restore and to save and to rescue and bring healing. He teaches them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him, verse 35, and said, this is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy them something to eat. Jesus wasn't really cool with that plan. He answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. A denarii was a day's wages for a laborer. That's a lot of coin. 200 days worth of wage for a laborer. Like, where's all this coin coming? We're going to go and buy this. He said, no, no, you give them something to eat. He said to them, how many loaves do we have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. He commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. The shepherds, the false shepherds, were not gathering the people. They weren't tending to the people. They weren't ministering to the people. They weren't leading them through healthy decision-making processes. They were just to fend for themselves, and they became sort of prey for their enemies around them. But look at Jesus huddling them up, bringing them to a place not of want, but of protection, of being together. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. Verse 42. It's not like nibbling on a kale salad where you're like, oh man, Kristen, won't, like we talk, she'll make me eat these salads and they're, they're good. But I eat one and I'm like, I want more. I'm not satisfied. I'm hungry. Like, give me some steak or what, what, give, give me something else, some salmon, something. They were satisfied. A life lived in the presence of Christ, feasting on his word. Feasting on that relationship and connectivity to him nourishes us to the point where you're content. Psalm 23, there's no want. Shepherd leads me, makes me lie down by, by still water. There is this comfort and this peace and this satisfaction. They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men not including the women, not including the children. This was a large crowd. What do we see of Jesus? This is the big idea. This is what I really want you to take away. I've highlighted these two large texts. We haven't jumped in in great detail, but the observation I want us to begin on here this morning as we launch into this and we look at eldership in more detail is this, a, a healthy leadership. To be a healthy leader, to be a healthy shepherd, it's a ministry of presence in proximity. That's what I want you to take away. You see, the, those that weren't walking with God were not present. They weren't in the trench 
trenches with the people. They weren't touching and walking and being with them, learning the stories, seeing the struggles in the strife and in the pain. They weren't there in the joyous moments. They just weren't there. If you're going to shepherd and lead well for impact in the vocation God's called you to into the home He's calling you to disciple, to this ministry that He's calling you to build into, you, you have to be present. Leadership. The calling of a leader, the calling of a shepherd is a ministry of presence and proximity. It goes beyond board meetings and budgets. It goes to a life that is lived even outside of Sunday. My offering to you by the grace of God as the ministry continues to grow and as we develop and build in and sharpen leaders and we look to shepherd this flock of God that He's given to us, we will, and I have been, we are going beyond Sunday with you. This is a key component of the body, is being here, gathering together, encouraging and worshiping through song and through the word. It's so key. But the body of Christ is this living, breathing organism that goes beyond here. We want to shepherd beyond this day. The best leaders are present. Jesus was always present. He was always with the people. There were only these windows of time where he snuck away with the guys to pray or even to go away as an individual just to spend these private moments with God the Father in prayer. If God will use us for good impact here, it's going to come through leaning on him and his word and embracing his command and his call upon us to wrap our arms around you when people stray to lovingly hunt you down, like, where are you? We miss you. People are hurting, seeking to help, ministering through prayer and through the word. And if we get stumped, because I'm not a psychologist, like I've got counseling under my belt at the graduate level, but at a certain point, we'll resource and send out. If there's greater need, we want to do life and walk. Jesus was present. To be an effective leader, it is a calling to be present. It's a ministry of proximity. That's what I want us to take away from today. Jesus was there and is there. For those of you that feel disconnected from God, for those of you that feel like you're just resting you're overwhelmed with the things you brought in here today. There is a shepherd who laid down his life for you, shed his blood for you, was laid in the ground, but on the third day rose. He's come to pursue you. He's come to give hope. He's come to give life. He's come to offer you himself, and he's come to offer you his presence. And now he calls knuckleheads like me to come be an under-shepherd, to, to lead by following him. And that we might wrap our arms around you all. It's not just me. I'm leading us to a plurality of eldership here. That means I might be the first among equals within the board. But that means there are multiple elders that will shepherd the flock. As the church is growing now, myself with my great best buddy, Kristen, who I love, I could speak about her for an hour and a half. How much time do we have? We, we, can't, we can't reach all of you and be with all of you day in and day out. The church has grown. There's more kids. There's more people coming into the fold the biblical mindset we see is the apostles led people to Jesus, making disciples of those that were coming, and they were making disciples of Jesus that could make disciples of Jesus, and they were appointing leaders, not a leader, but multiple leaders within congregations. There may be a point elder that sort of started it, but from there, there was this whole team, an approach of leading well, of building into the people. We will be stunted in my ability to, to reach and touch in with all of you all the time. I can't do it. But God has appointed other leaders in this house to follow the king 
and to invite you to follow the King with and to build into you. So together we'll fan out to sharpen you and to build into you the best we can. And as the ministry grows, we will prayerfully build in and identify others that are gifted and called to shepherd, to build, to serve, to lead. That's sort of the mindset and the approach moving forward. You want to make an impact in your business. You need to take on the compassion of Jesus, and you need to be there. Are your employees just employees for the bottom line, or do you see that they are image bearers of God with a soul? Man, I know some of your employees are frustrating, but you get to shepherd them. You get to build into them. You get to model the ways of Jesus for them. I know your kids are really difficult and maddening at times. I'm speaking from experience. No, just me? Okay, great. They're, They're difficult. It's hard. It's hard. But you've got the privilege of shepherding their hearts seeing to them that they may, by the grace of God, come to know the King. You can't rescue them as we talk about often, but you can intentionally lead them to Jesus. And you can lay a foundation of Christ the King and the inerrant Word of God. Your calling, whatever it may be, whatever the capacity to lead, is a calling to proximity and presence. The best leaders are there, and they're compassionate. They care for their people. They're aware of the needs. They seek to minister to those needs. Think of Nehemiah. Nehemiah comes out of exile. The city of God, Jerusalem, was in shambles. The walls were destroyed. The place was ransacked. He was broken, brought to tears over the condition of God's city and the legacy of his ancestors. And one night he's out there with his guys, just a few of them, walking the walls, looking at the condition of the city, making a plan for how they will build the city up again. But it's even more symbolic in that. How will this people become the people of God again? How might we shepherd them? And they built those walls in a ridiculous amount of time, short amount of time. But he was with them. He was there in the labor with them. He was there when fear was sweeping through the ranks, encouraging and speaking hope into them. May that be of us. General Patton was an interesting man, a controversial man to many. But Patton was well-loved by most of his soldiers. He was odd. He was interesting. He was driven. He felt called to war. Not that he loved it, but he felt prepped for that. Why did the men love him? It's because when the bullets were flying, lives were being lost. Patton was there often. They would often push him off the ranks, away, out of the flank, back. He wanted to be there, and his men loved him for that. They would have run through a wall for him because he was present. You want to impact your kids? Be there. I want to impact for the grace of God, the glory of God, the flock that I have the privilege of loving and leading and building into and correcting. We'll have hard conversations in the years ahead. There's times where I'll have to lovingly rebuke because you're out of line with God's word. It's done out of love. It's not to abuse authority or power. It's stepping into what God's prepared me for and called me to and part of doing life together with the eldership and the leadership is sharpening one another, and there can be tensions at times. So it doesn't mean I'm just the nice guy, like, oh, hey, whatever you want to do. Sometimes, but other times, no. If I want to have an effective impact and see this family continue to be unified and grow, 
you got to let me into your life, and I want to invite you into my life, and I want to invite you into the lives of our leaders, and they want to invite you into their lives and break bread with you and walk with you and come to your hockey games and just check in and see how you're doing. We want to be present like Jesus. He's the exemplary leader. This is the baseline, the starting point for some conversations to come. So some years ago, we were wrapping up seminary, and we found ourselves in the capital of South Dakota. Anybody go to, you've been to South Dakota, anybody? Oh, yeah, wow, okay. Pilot in the room and business. <laughs> anyway, so it's sort of off the, it's not off the grid, but it's sort of off, they call that flyover country, if you're in the airline, and it's just, so you kind of just fly over that. But we, were, we found ourselves, you know, green out of seminary in, in the capital of South Dakota. We would say Pierre. They say Pierre out there. And I didn't have the foggiest of, of what it looked like to understand the large farming, ranching community there. I just didn't really know anything about it. And I, let alone knowing that farming community, I, I really didn't know about the great people that lived there and ran those big farms. And so we had a lot to learn. And I didn't know a lot about federal government, state government. It's a capital of South Dakota. It's real small, but I didn't know a lot about that. And so we got there. Merrick was born here. He was just a couple months old. We show up there. I'm a city slicker. Like, I'm all boots and no cattle, okay? Like, I, I, like I, it's just all show. I don't know nothing about ranching. And so, pastor joke, just, hey, cool. Um, so we show up there, and I realized the only way that we were going to be able to shepherd well was just to get to know the people. So some days you would find me in the Capitol, in the State House, meeting with politicians and praying with them. Other days you'd find me out on a ranch, hanging out with farmers. And we're talking about big farms, big thousands of acres, big spreads. I developed a friendship with a guy named Sam, early 30s, retired from being a pro rodeoer. Like he rode Bronx like on the circuit, just a difficult life. And he retired in his like early mid 30s to, to take up the easy job of breaking wild horses. All right. I'm like, Sam, so let me get this straight. You were a pro bronc rider. Okay. And that's beating just physical, just such a demanding sport. Now you've retired to, to break wild horses. Okay. Like I, all right. Uh, Cause that was easier, but a legit cowboy, a legit horse whisperer. And so the first time I went out to his arena there to hang out, I pull up to their indoor arena. He told me he'd be inside working a horse. And so I pull up and I'm wearing the boots that I have on today. Now the pretty boy in me freaked out. Okay. I'm just being honest here. I pulled up, and as I looked, there's mud, there's cow manure, there's horse manure, there's puddles, and I got these new boots that Kristen bought me for my birthday, and I'm like, oh my word, I'm going to get dirty here. <laughs> like, this is, what in the world am I going to do? And I'm thinking, maybe there's like a strip of carpet I could kind of throw down and step across, or rocks, you know, and, and it just dawned on me to pull up, and like, I'm going to get muddy, I walk in, sort of, just embarrassing, pulling the pants up, tiptoeing through the mud and the manure, and I come into the arena, and there's Sam. He's got a big corral set up, and he's working this wild horse. Uh, I still don't know the term, on like a leash, like a horse leash or something, and he's circling the horse around the arena, and I lean up against the, the big cattle fencing that they have there, and I'm just listening to him, and he's telling me about his philosophy of breaking animals, and how he trains a horse, and the type of touch he uses, and I'm just listening, getting to know him. And as I sat there, I thought, Lord, if I'm going to be a shepherd, 
of your church, I got to be willing to get my boots muddy. I've got two questions for us as we conclude today. First, I want to just bring this point home. If you want to lead with impact, not to build your name or to build your brand or whatever, but if you want to lead with impact, leadership is a ministry of proximity and presence. You got to be there like Jesus with compassion, caring for the people. You got to be there. The two questions I want to land the plane with this morning as we pray is, where's your flock Look, I know my flock. I'm looking at a lot of my flock this morning. Some of you are here like, this is my flock too. God's calling me, not because we're like impressive, but he's called me to be a shepherd, an overseer, an elder. And this is my flock too. He's calling, this is the flock. But some of you are positioned and your flock is the OR room. It's the hospital it's the school. Your flock is in Sunday school right now. Where's your flock? Lastly, are you willing to get your boots muddy? Because if we're going to love well, and if we're going to take ownership of the South Shore and say, you know what, Lord, you're calling us here to shepherd the South Shore, meaning we're going to have an eye on those that are scattered, that are adrift, that don't know the Lord, that need the Word of God, that need the healing emotionally and spiritually of Christ the King. We're going to take ownership of this body as under-shepherds of the King, but then we're going to say together, holy cow, Lord, I, I want to shepherd my neighbor, and I want to shepherd my co-workers and my employees. I want to shepherd my boss who drives me nuts and makes that vein pop out of my, you know what I mean? Like, I want to shepherd Where's your flock? And are you willing to get your boots muddy?